Hello and welcome to Fallout Podcast EP87, a.k.a. I'm out of CB. It's a futile fall showdown. All 525 songs going head-to-head. Shakedown, now in round two. A mere 256 songs split into two eras, 70, 70, and 94 to 2017. Thank you, Andy. Fall, Fuel, track record, Oh Brother Puritans, Fall in Fives, Church of the Fall, and all them what fall. Tonight, Ludgang versus Session Musician, Spine Track versus 50 Year Old Man, Two Steps Back versus A Figure Walks. Joined by Pip, Willy Billy Rugby, Courage, My Sweet. How are you, Philip? I'm very well, thank you, sir. It's been uh, spending a lot of time listening to jingles and some cabaret. A touch of Mersey beat. beat. Oh, there's Temple up the mountain. Who knows where he is? But Pemberton Shyamalan Walker, he'll vent his anger on the Wolverines. How are you, Alistair? I'm all right. I've had two poos this morning, but I'm going to miss the best of Serbs and Greaves. Oh, good Lord. It's uh, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. It's a game and of two halves, isn't it? Marquee, <laughs> Marquee, Tiny Tim, Twatwa. I've got a three-foot rock hard on, but I'm too busy to use it. Is he with us? Oh, yeah. I caught him pissing all over the towels. Brilliant. And uh, unfortunately, Chris Barrow of Wigan has decided... That his paternity leave was over and uh, Ezra is back on full duty. Uh, but what we want to say, Chris, is you did a wonderful job. We were very happy while you were on board the good ship Fallout. And may you return. We pray for your safe return one day. I am Tria Beards O'Shaughnessy. Why no sperm? And as always, chippings from Leon Jumblesale, Michael E. And Max W. Apologies for me posting a link like 20 minutes ago. Uh, so tonight, Phil, before we start, <laughs> why not sperm? Yeah, it's from a, it's from a, a lyric. It's a lyric from a song by the band The Fall. In fact, one really? of the songs we're doing tonight. It's, thank you. There you go. I pay no attention to the words. It's in two songs. It's in who makes the Nazis? Who makes the Nazis? And and also one of these wow. bad boys tonight that we'll come across. Um, but Phil. Now's the time for yeah. some ad- advertisements. So tell Indeed. us about Hey Luciani, the play. Listen, it is the first time in my life I've been able to say my social media blew up. <laughs> Literally posted it yes this morning. <laughs> Oof, hundreds and hundreds of people all very excited about this thing. So tell us about it. September the 23rd, Saturday. That's exactly right. Yeah. So uh, some members of the podcast and some friends will be getting together and performing the play as written by MES called Hey Luciani for the first time in a couple of decades since it was put on originally in the 80s. Um, we will be doing a performance of it. It's uh, it, it's it's not a theatrical performance, but it will be the whole play. We will be going for it all. Um, and I can reassure you, it's very entertaining. Uh, our 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 cast is absolutely buzzing about the opportunity to to do this. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a good night. It certainly will. Um, fantastic. So tickets were still um, talking to the Presswich Arts Festival, and they're getting the tickets ready. So as soon as they go out, we'll show the the links. It's going to be limited. The rooms, the room looks like it holds about thirty people. <laughs> so like, mm. you might want to get a ticket early if you're interested in coming along. But Although it's a lot of fun. Said, they have said if we sell out that we might do a matinee performance. Nice. As well. Okay. Well, yes, that's people true. People get in quick. Uh, and we can arrange two showings and hopefully more people can see it. That'd be great. Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, so 
before we launch into stuff tonight, so I think this is the first time the three of us have been in the room together, actually. I don't remember the last time no. it was just no, 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 it's double figures, probably. Um, have you seen that interview with Krishnan? Uh, Chris, why? Krishnan, why? why? Um, so tonight we're going to do a futures and past. We haven't done one for quite a while uh, about uh, a person who was very influential on the lyrics of Mark E. Smith and uh, probably on one of the songs that we're actually covering tonight, such as the way that the vibes pass through the universe. So tell us about uh, what you brought to the table, Philip. Well, today we're going to talk about Mr. James, who is uh, also known as M.R. James, the famous, probably the most famous English ghost story writer. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what he's famous for. He's, he was born a while ago. He was born in 1862. Um, so he's he's rocking around the turn of the uh, 19th, 20th century. Um, he's... In, during his own lifetime, he actually became a provost at Eton and uh, King's College. And so he was very, very high up in academia and scholarship um, and and had quite a reputation for his scholarship as well. Most of which seems to, as, as far as I can tell, seems to revolve around librarying manuscripts and going to these sort of uh, old libraries and, and yeah. trying to work out what the secrets were that it held. And um, it sometimes his stories get a little bit lampooned for following a very similar kind of narrative. But it's been interesting looking through some of these ghost stories and what people say about them. But then when you when you read about them yourselves, it's sometimes it's it's a very different text. So for example, like I've just said, a lot of people lampoon these stories as always being about an all academic going finding secrets and then getting haunted by a ghost. Um, but there's only a couple of stories, actually, that follow that trajectory. Um, there's also another quote by Charlie Mayerville, where he said he's, he's known as the quintessential ghostwriter, but most of his stories are about strange demonic creatures. Um, and then I, my favourite lot is the first collection, the, the um, ghost stories of antiquity. There's maybe like two stories like that in it. It's a real mixed bag when you actually get into it. So it's, it's no wonder that Lovecraft, in his really important essay about the history of supernatural horror... He calls him one of the great four masters, along with Blackwood, uh, Lord Dunsany, and uh, Mezzi's favourite, Arthur Macken. Mm. Um, so, did you do you want to link us a bit into the the fall stuff, Bren? Yes. Yeah, so, there's for my mind three specific uh, connections. Suspector versus Rector is um, he, he specifically mentions Mr. James by by name. Um, I think Shadow Walks, I think, is very, very, although, again, he doesn't specifically mention M.R. James, the the trope of a something following you very, very closely. Uh, I posted today, actually, an annotated fall um, about about a figure walks and how uh, Canon Albrecht's scrapbook by M.R. James, which is about a man who goes to France and he procures a... A, a book somewhat illicitly and is asked to like on his way home to stay in the middle of the road and to wear a crucifix which he decides not to wear because he's he's you know he's so learned he doesn't believe in those things and the whole time he's sensing this figure getting closer and closer to him behind him um there's a michael holden the actor was well known for doing he read a whole series of of them and he also made the, the the best two kind of adaptations this whistle and i'll come to you which also has a figure that is um like slowly getting the, 
for me, that's the most memorable bit, both in the story and the and the film version of it. This that that character that's constantly running on the beach and not getting anywhere closer to him is really creepy. Yeah, and and then um, yeah, I mean, there's been there's so many great Mr. James ones, and of course, there's a lot of tropes that get mocked and a lot of tropes that maybe Smith got from other places. But yeah, that Dragnet era stuff where um, he's where he's really digging into the the menace in the background, which again, some of it comes from Macken, but I think there's very explicitly Spectre versus Rector and the, the Shadow Walks, uh, really explicitly, or Mr. James, um, the same vibe running through all of it. And then in his second collection of stories, he had a story called Casting the Runes, which of is course. also in Iceland. He mentions yeah. the uh, yeah, so. Which is a, which is the actual story itself is about like an Alistair Crowley kind of character, isn't it? So again, it's not really a ghost story. Most of these things like supernatural horror stories, aren't they? Yeah, there's enough of them about he likes he liked to write stories about uh, books that held some secret, or there's one about an etching, and every time you look at it, that the. the the, the picture changes the mezzotint and um, the picture changes. Although, spoiler, they made a new version of it where they really fucked up the ending because the point being is you ne- it never you never really know how it resolves in the original story, I think. But of course, you can be too on the nose with these things, which I think uh, Mez was aware of. And, and, and again, something like a, a figure walks is is vague enough and spectre versus rector is silly enough and vague enough at the same time to be kind of like not um uh, to, to keep the mood and keep the vibe and you'd say um jay temperance you know maybe leaning slightly but i guess that's a much more lovecraft kind of um narrative yes and the, the only other thing i was going to say is in in casting the rune one of the interesting things that he does is he actually sort of modernizes the horror story as well. One of the things, apart, apart from one of the stories, the ash tree, which is, is set in like the 1700s, I think. The um, most of his stories are set in contemporary times. It's like you see, is I've, I've got this quote from the preface of his second book where he says, "A ghost story of which the scene is laid in the 12th or 13th century may succeed in being romantic or poetical. It will never put the reader into the position of saying to himself." If I'm not careful, something of this kind may happen to me. And it's that's he, he really you kind of I, I like that about Mr. James is the fact that there is a belief there's a verisimilitude, isn't there, in his writing. It's believable in the world it's set. There's there's a menace underlying it that is this a similar thing that I love in the fall. I don't read a lot of ghost stories or even weird fiction, but I've read all of those M.R. James ones multiple times. Is that, maybe I'll play a little bit of Michael Horden reading the Canon Albrick scrapbook. Um, just 30 seconds or so. They're, they're pertinent. Michael Horden, I believe, the rest of us know him from Paddington, the original narrator of Paddington, but uh, they, they are well worth a, a watch those seventies ones, and he's it, you can read all his the whole set of stories probably in a couple of hours. He because that wasn't his job, right? He was a, he was essentially a pre- professor, and they would read the ghost stories for Christmas, and he would write them. He just so happened to be absolutely amazing. So that <laughs> over the years, that's all we knew him for. But it's like yeah, because he was in his like, forties when the first story gets published, yeah, and he'd been back with a silver crucifix and a chain for the neck. Monsieur would perhaps be good enough to accept it? Well, really, Deniston hadn't much use for these things. What did Mademoiselle want for? Nothing. Nothing in the world. Monsieur is more than welcome to it. It really seemed as if he had rendered the father and daughter some service, which they hardly knew how to repay. As he set off with his book, they stood at the door looking after him, 
and they were still looking when he waved them a last good night from the steps of the Chateau Rouge. Dinner was over, and Deniston was in his bedroom. All this time, a growing feeling of discomfort had been creeping over him, a nervous reaction, perhaps, after the delight of his discovery. Whatever it was, it resulted in the conviction that there was someone behind him, and that he was far more comfortable with his back to the wall. All this, of course, weighed light in the balance as against the obvious value of the collection he had acquired. Indeed. So, M.R. James, if you haven't read those stories, you, you uh, do yourself a favour and indulge. Uh, Al, anything you want to add to that? Uh, yes, well, remember, I've never read any uh, Mr. James stuff. Uh, I've read like, radio players before. They, they were all right, you know, they're entertaining enough. And uh, Matt Fisher wrote about him in the weird and, weird and eerie book, uh, lumping him in with the like, sort of Lovecraft. And uh, yeah, the, the way I see it is like you, reality, there's far more horror in that than there is in fiction. Indeed, indeed. Wise, wise words. Be careful at this. So why don't we get to some reality? Pip plays the first track. Are you gesturing for some some sort of every week? I'm sat here like a lemon, pressing buttons. My sweet, indeed, Ludgang back for round two. Will it progress or will it fall? That is the question. Pip, as is customary, you are up first. Oh, do you know what? I've been singing this all week. What a great tune this is. I, I, I love how you're greeted with this sustained blast to start off with the, the words and the high fretted and enthusiastic bass playing going on it it's like I'm, if i'm not wrong it's being all played with the left hand it's all hammers on, on the bass until it starts chugging um it's got a brilliant hook of a kind of hole in the rain for you i've no idea what it means but it sounds brilliant um and it's a it's a really imaginative arrangement all the way through the song what well, I, I was listening to it last night and i thought this really reminds me of like baroque pop from the 60s you know like the zombies um yeah. the oracle's odyssey kind of vibe it's like it's you're never quite sure which direction it's going to go in as a, as a tune and it's only two and a half minutes long it's you know we we talk a lot about repetition and simplicity and art brute and all that kind of stuff but when they wanted to actually write a uh, like I say, a baroque, compact song with lots of imagination, lots of directions going in it, loads of ideas thrown around, lots of handbrake turns into different kind of vibes and stuff. It's got it all, and it's so catchy. It's been my earworm all week, this. It's, uh, I've, I've loved every second of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same. I um, <laughs> The thrusting, insistent parts, but they're... they're... They're insistent in different ways. So you've got that kind of like keyboard throb all the way through the first part, and then it morphs quickly into the drum, kind of like just hammering. Uh, but yeah, the 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 structure 
was interesting because it's moving around, it's shifting, there's a lot of little parts and you kind of have to really sit down and work out what it's doing because it's certainly not a verse, chorus, first, but it works. It's really poppy. Uh, even the un- unusual, non-fall-esque, almost madness-esque old Joanna pianos that come in on like the third or fourth section. Um, yeah, goes from prodding to cheekily intricate on a sixpence. And uh, considering it was a, it didn't make perverted by language, although you can kind of see why. But I, I actually think on the album itself, it would have been great to break up some of those smaller tracks. It deserves more. It, it was voted in one of the many um, fall kind of uh, versions of this that has happened before in parallel universes. That uh, it was a, there was a B sides one at one point, and and this. And Blood Gang won. Um, I, I, I'm curious as well. When he sings Courage My Sweet, is that a lift from somewhere else? Is that a reference to some, another song? Um, If it is, I tell you, it'll be written on the Annotated Fall, but I didn't <laughs> see it when I was on there. And I, I don't, it doesn't strike to me. Um, But I mean, it certainly sounds like one. It's not the kind of thing he would necessarily. It sounds like something that out of something you'd sing at a football match or something like that, do you know what I mean? Like one of those kind it of sounds songs. like a, a literary quote maybe. Possibly. Yeah. But I'm I'm, I'm not I, I wouldn't know nothing. for sure nothing. There's nothing it really, that's really sounds it, doesn't it? Um oh here we go. Annotated fall. Now we're checking annotated fall in the middle of episodes. Really <laughs> might, might as well just just transcribe it and play it every time. Today's song is here. I'll just what? read it out. Yeah. But you did ask, and it's there, and we would be fools not to use the tools that are there. Um, yes. From the Tex Avery cartoon, Dangerous Dan McFoo, 1939. She confronts McFoo, says, have courage, my sweet, have courage, and pecks him on the lips. But it's such a it's such a, a common phrase that, yeah, could have come from anywhere, couldn't it? Al, what do you make of Lud Gang? The gang of one. You're a gang of one, aren't you? Can't get anybody else to join my gang. It's not like Gary Glitter. Um, yeah, for, for like a song that didn't make it onto Perverted, it's it's an absolute gem in it. You know, you've got that really lovely sort of stabbing rhythm that reminds me a bit of Psycho, you know, the shower scene kind of thing. Uh, but then it gets into like the nice groove, and like you were saying about uh, structure of it, kind of like takes it in uh, different directions, not very sort of like uh, predictable. It's not painted by numbers, really, is it? Uh, but yeah, damn good tune, Mister Brendan. It is indeed. I've not uh, because of my um, my cavalier attitude to posting. I don't know what anyone else thinks, um, but whatever. It's a great song, and I'm going to read you some of the lyrics from that song. The housing association, the McDonald's seat, have prefixed him on frustration. Frustration. I'll stick with the gang of one. I'll make a stand with the Lud gang. Carve a horn in the hole in the rain for you. I hate the guts of shaking Stevens for what he has done. The Massacre of Blue Christmas. On him, I'd like to land one. But I'll shake it. Let's just, let's just have a listen, shall we? Oh, well. 
To be fair, Smith's got a point, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> On him, I don't I'd know, like. See, the thing is, this is what this this podcast does to you. Because I was listening to that Blue Christmas by the Fall, and thinking, you know, Ezra's got a point. This is not that bad. Oh, it's lost. <laughs> it, I have to say, it's lost its sting. The, like we've listened to like eight or nine times by this point, and it's like sounds fine to me. Like, yeah, so that, you know. <laughs> Put a stick on a seven yeah. inch with with that with a with a football crowd singing "Sweet Caroline." I'll listen to that all evening. <laughs> Ludgang is apparently Smith said Ludgang is a rant against tastelessness, including those who slash and aggravate on the rock and roll greats' nerves, even if they are dead. It is respectfully dedicated to the Blue Caps, that's Jim Vincent's band. It contains the phrase. McDonald's seat, which is a contraption noted in scummy burger joints, in which said contraption is half the size of anybody's butt, designed to get you out ASAP. That doesn't sound like something Smith would say. Anyway, good, that bit's done, so let's move on to the second song. It is up against Session Musician, a song that was only performed live. Though we did listen to it, didn't we, in, in the... um. In the, the bonus episode of 1981 that we did the other week, they played it when they were playing um, in America, a part of America they're in. But it's no succession, man. Let's have a listen. <laughs> Not much is. You know, you upset Tim quite a lot last week. Well, for succession that, he, that his choice of gigs was awful. Well, that and also, well, we all upset him with succession, man, didn't we? I don't remember and, what we said. Uh, I think... Well, oh, oh, the goal oh, was voting, success, uh, voting succession man through and voting out yeah. whatever garbage it was up against. What was it? Yes. How I wrote elastic man. <laughs> That's that one. I'm totally wireless. Can't you see me? <laughs> I can stand that one. All right, whatever. Uh, okay. Session anyway, musician. He, tell you what he says about oh, what does Tim? What does Tim think I about that game? Sulking. He's sulking. You see, Go so but decent shit. He did, he did say he did say his 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 notes are brief this week, but that's fine. Sometimes that's the brevity is is. I think you might need to stretch out that, you know, bury the hatchet, stretch it, stretch out to hand. Physically stretch it out for like three or four minutes. Come on, enough. What what's the next song? It is session. Oh, nine minutes of it. <laughs> I'm calling it. I think this is the worst fall song from the first, like, first half. The the worst fall song of the 20th century. What does Al think? Mm-hmm. Well, I agree with you to a certain extent. It's, it's definitely not the best recording ever. Of, uh, definitely what is not one of the best songs ever. Um, no, the drums are all right. I quite like what, uh, what's going on there. Um but it's just kind of like it's lumbering in it. It, it kind of like plods along on the verse, and then you get to the chorus, which just 
is an abortion. Um, so it's not one for me, this uh, lads. I'm afraid. Um, log gang all the way. I'm I'm calling it. But I think the the point being is that it, it's a it's a pop song, unlike Lud, which is poppy, brilliant. But it's got all these. But this is an attempt at writing something which is a straight ahead kind of like pop song, verse, chorus, verse, and the lyrics are, are very literally about a session musician, and they're not funny. And it's like Smith's such a good writer. And I mean, oh, this is still early. So, and it probably came from like, you know, which is it right? Or so? I mean, musically, mind me, but, but it, the music itself is fine. I mean, it's certainly not particularly great, but I mean, it, it's it for me, it's the fact that Smith's trying to write like a melodic pop song and it, and, and, and make a funny one. And it's it's just not ah, funny. But, but Brendan, is, is it him that's doing it? Is it not just something that he's been down the pub and like left the lads up to, uh, you know, do, do the hard work and he's come back and he's half cut and gone, all right, yeah, go on, whatever. Yeah, you, you just played. I'll, I'll, I'll make something up to it. Well, yeah, but he goes. It's all about is you know being ripped off by record companies and stuff like that, which he touches on a lot of times. Much better things like shoulder pads and things, but he's just so on the nose. And there are a few bits of funny, right? You know, he'll he'll wish he did his own songs and not cover versions of Velvet Underground. Of course, the irony is that if you look at that list of like. When when that list that went down that I think he sent to t- Tony Friel where it's typed up and like half the songs are Velvet Underground covers and then the other half are rip-offs of the Velvet Underground. A good hope of, would be for him for a, a trip to Abu Dhabi 1993 Cabaret Jingles. Um, that's funny because I, I, again the the I don't know to what extent the idea of flying out to do parties for uh you know kind of very very rich people was a thing back in like the late 70s early 80s but it's certainly a thing now if you watch like you know that's a common trope of people being taken the piss out of for going doing a half a million pound gig for some you know billionaire in saudi arabia yeah exactly um yeah, and apparently Wolverines comes back a lot, this concept. It'd be good to dig into that one day because it's in like six or seven songs of re- references to Wolverines. Um, seems to be something to do with people um, in the record industry. How about, uh, oh, we were talking about the word synecdoche a few weeks ago. I mean, if I were, where it's where you use the name of something to represent the whole thing. And he says doobie. And and I think doobie might be the synecdoche for like, that whole genre of like, you know, kind of shitty yacht, like kind of like yachty, rocky, soft rock, M-O-R, A-O-R sellouts. Or it could like just Doobie call Brothers. it. Well, it's a, it's a reference to the Doobie Brothers, right? And they're, they're kind of ilk. Yeah. I can't what did you say, Al? The Allman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Eagles, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. but in a Doobie split. Well, it is, it, but the Doobie also, Brothers, yeah. yeah, that's where the name came from, I imagine. Hmm. What once it's were habits very... are now vices. Well, I quite like a bit of it. There's some good stuff in there, but you know, you know what he's getting at. This is it's smalt there. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I, I think you're both totally wrong about this song. Oh, it's great. <laughs> and I'll let me remember cards. So he um he's adopting a character. It's this it's this crooner, isn't it? He's he's laying this uh this sort of He's lamenting this session musician who uh, wants to do his passion for life, but it it really feels like a sleight of hand to me. This this song or a sleight of mind. It's 
because you get about halfway through and it turns to the arrow geek section and it's 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 totally different but it just gets more and more epic it's like really lo-fi but it really feels like you're in the big middle of a performance and it becomes a it really becomes a performance piece with his voice he you the snarl in his voice when he sings session musician but when he gets to that jingles cabaret mersey beat line which is so stinging against like most professional musicians who you've probably never heard of um that 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 career pathway which he's just like he's kind of holding that up to be the worst thing in the world this is the worst possible way you could be spending your time as a musician this is artistic death and you are eating it all up and it's like i i I really, really liked the venom that he got. It's something that nobody else in the world would be angry about, but Smithy can like really raise his hackles up about it, and it's so I like it. And I, I like musically, I quite like it as well. I know it's it's shit on the BR Waller's objective scale of of music, but I like what it does, and I like the really shitty try hard session musician change when it's like dun 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 dun. dun. Really cheesy fill over the top. It's a really low effort hook, but it's still kind of hooky. And then it's like you get to the um, to the Arab Geek bit, and it's so angular the guitar. I thought it was great. When we was listening to it the other week and the, the gig, it was it was the low point of the gig. It was like they, they were like rocking, and then all of a sudden you just had this like vampire appear out of nowhere. Session musician. I agree. I agree with you. It does not like that at all. No. That's all out of everything. What should it replace on Hex then, Phil? Uh, It's so good. Let's, uh, let's, let's. All of it. All of side one. Iceland. There you go. Exactly. Um, (laughs) What does Tim think of this one? You wouldn't be able to do that though, would you? Because it wouldn't be an hour. No, it wouldn't. No. Mm. Just make on this day shorter. That's what with me. The Tim's with me. Top shirts. Top shit. I will never understand that. Anyway, take a ball. Um, what I will have to do is I might have to retweet this if it's if it's very controversial because we still got a couple of outstanding votes. So I cannot confirm what goes through tonight. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Nail biting. All right. So which way are you going, Pip? I am going Ludgang. I Al? Because I've not stopped singing it all fucking week. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> Got a hole in the rain for ya. That's great. I'm tempted to vote for session musician just because Phil was bigging it up and I was slugging it off. It's just like a bit contrary. Do so, it. Yeah, I'll, Do it. I'll, I'll go for session musician and be a it's bastard. Irrelevant. It's irrelevant unless. Uh, well, Michael E's gone for uh, Lud Gang. We don't know about Max yet. So. Um, if if Tim goes if Tim goes for session, we'll have to wait. But if he, he goes has, for like yes, it's gone for session. session. Right. Yeah. So Max, hopefully you're not listening to this before you vote. So yeah, I cannot confirm or deny whether Lud goes through. So it could be. Um we'll have to we'll have to go back to the fingers at some point. We'll have to go back to the fingers. That's that's new, isn't it? Anyway, moving on. I'm sure it'll all yeah. work. Well, now na- na- now up to now. Um the whole B side that is Spine Track, the worst song on Light User Syndrome.
It seems to me, and especially once knowing the where Bricks had been in the interim years and that she almost joined Hull just before she rejoined for light user syndrome or for, for cerebral caustic, it seems to me very clear that this is a song that Bricks wrote and, and not a song she wrote for the fall. This is just a song that I'm guessing that she was either going to keep for herself or to pass on to one of the bands like Hull or something like that. Or she was trying to write in that style because it's so different. And in itself, it's not terrible. It's, you know, it's something that you might find a Pixies album track or, you know, Throwing Muses or Stone Temple Pilots or one of those kind of like, you know, middling grunge bands, generic kind of indie stuff. Um, Smith Smith, Smith's great on it. He comes in, he kind of destabilizes the whole thing and chunners on about schizophrenes and um but they're just two totally different beasts and uh, i would just rather have that stay over there on its uh, xfm indie compilation and just have smith reading the lyrics if that if that's what we're going to do that's where we're at um might seem a little bit harsh but that's where i am it's a brick song and uh it has no place in this as much as i love bricks thinks he's wonderful this is not a fall song philip yeah, so, well, I'll tell you what my thoughts were. I, I I kind of agree with you, but I'm going to come at it from a slightly different angle because, for me, this is Mrs. Smith telling Mr. Smith exactly what's going to happen, and she's got this song, and she's got a really nice chorus, and she's got all the backing stuff sorted out. Matt, just do your thing over the verse, and then I'll, you know, I'll do all the rest of it. You don't have to worry your pretty little head about coming in on the chorus or anything. It's all sorted. It's just got, what have you got in your bag, though? Have you got some, right, yeah, just just chun of that over the microphone for a bit. And I think she does to Mark what Mark did to her on Bonkers in Phoenix. And That's I think where I'm product, going, yeah, with this, yes. The end product is much better than Bunkers in Phoenix. Um, and I like it. I think it's a, it's a nice bray of sunshine. It's it, it's um, it's a bit of a sorbo for the other stuff. It's poppy as hell. And um, Bricks is sounding great. It's I, I like the hook. I like the chorus. You're quite right. It would fit on a Pixies album or more more likely a Breeders album, I guess, because it's like much that. more sort of Kim Deal, isn't it? Kelly Deal sort of uh, territory. Or the Amps, who I've been recently getting into, the other uh, Deal project yeah. um, in between stuff, which is also really good. Um, so I, I, I really like it for all those things. I'm I'm very partial to uh, to anything that sounds like Kim Deal, really. Um so I, I liked this, but yeah, it's not a false song. I I to me it's Mrs. Smith grabbing Mez by the scruff of the neck and saying, We're gonna play by my rules for this song. I quite yeah. and it, it, it is not uh, I was kind of uh, you know playing around. It's not it's not my least favorite song on um 
unlike Houston because things like Oleano and uh, Oxymoron kind of were the kind of messing around and not getting to the point. But, you know, it, it wouldn't make the final cut if I was cutting in a 15-track album to a tight 10 or 11. Still, a blather on when it's time for Alistair to share what he thinks of Spine Track. Well, it's a light user, isn't it? I'm not dead keen on that LP, really, tell the truth. But uh, it's an okay song. Um, when you say it's not a fall song, it's that it is a fall song, but it just sounds a little bit different. A bit, you know, there's a few songs about the fall that are like that. Uh, pumpkin soup, you know. Um, but yeah, the, the, the chuggy chuggy guitar stuff that is like quite sort of grungy. You can see where you're coming from with the uh, yeah. It sounds like it could have been a whole song for that bit. But I cannot stand all that uh, uh, backing vocal stuff. It's just like it's trying to be too melodic um, for the sake of it. It's a bit saccharine. Um, and I think overall, like the composition's a bit lukewarm. It's neither hot nor cold. It's 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 trying, but it, it's it's not getting there. Is for it? Me. Is that backing vocal style a bit too Mersey beat? It could be a little bit too Mersey beat, couldn't it? Yeah, right. a bit like the Beatles. It is a bit beakly, isn't it? It yeah, is. Who is the second biggest Mersey Beat band after the Beatles? Wasn't Jerry and the Pacemakers? Oh, got one in it. With the Searchers, guys. Oh, there you Not go. Jerry. I was going to say, I'll give you a clue. Oh, the, the Searchers. Four, the Four Covenant family. Might be wrong. Wrong! Shouts the, the uh, chattering classes. Wrong. No. The Searchers were the second second best. I didn't say best selling. I said best. <laughs> what does Tim think of this song? He's just put great pop shit. It is great pop shit, but we uh, unfortunately we, our standards are way higher. But you're, you're spot on. If if Kim Deal, if this was a Breeders album track, I don't think I'd have a problem with it. I've been listening to quite a lot of Breeders recently. Spotify thinks I really like them, and I haven't been arguing. <laughs> so, uh, oh, the brilliant, the brilliant. That title TK album is absolutely astonishing. A young lad from Escom is a schizophrenic. He also thinks he's a man and his other half is his sidekick. His other half is called Chip. Spine clicked and came out of its box, made the sideshow begin. One, endless pursuit of women and application pages for women's jobs. There's, there's always a, a ray of sunshine if Marky Smith is around and saying things with his mouth and his pen and his words. Um, it is up, word, unfortunately for Spine Track, it is up against 50-year-old man. A, a gruff riffage tune that uh, everyone agrees is the best thing they did post 2000. more and more sense as myself and Alistair approach that deadly age. We are uh, we are both Hawaii 4-9 as they might say. 
But it's only a matter of time before we also have three foot long hard ons that we don't know anything, don't know what to do with. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Looking forward to that. Exactly. (laughs) I'm imagining that's a Viagra stab. Um, Brilliant, uh, brilliant stuff. It it is a minimal gruff riffage early Imperial Wax. So the lads are on board and they don't muck around. And although it does have a bit of a whiff of the pub, yes. For me, of if you take the uh, the stuff off that album that does that, so Wolf Kiddle Man and Latchkey Kid and things like that, um, I think this is my favourite, like, in terms of it being a song. I love his vocal nonsense on Latchkey Kid, but I think uh, 50-Year-Old Man is just, is just battering it down all the way, kind of like it doesn't, it just doesn't stop except, except for the banjo breakdown. <laughs> in the middle (laughs) 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 and there's a few little bits here and there but it it properly just goes for it and um and um it's it's a really sweet tune and i I really kind of like um yeah i can't i can't get enough of it um he I'll go into the lyrics a little bit once you you chaps have had your say. Uh, and there is a there's a version on the Britannia tapes, which is the um, Britannia sessions, which is the the version of the album that was released later that was produced by Grant Showbiz um, called the Inferior Product Man, which we did kind of cover in one of the Between the Bottom Cheeks episodes. But um, I'll play a little bit of it uh, a bit later on, and we'll have a listen. But it's, it's nigh on identical. But Alistair, what do you make of 50, 50 year old man, as the Americans might say? They might do, yeah, they could. Bloody illiterate buggers. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it actually reminds me a bit of I Want You. Do you know the uh, Inspiral Carpet? Sure, yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's a bit of a, sort of a vibe of that to it. But yeah, I do like the way they sort of like smash it into uh, Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. Uh, and, you know, there's some really nice garagey grooving going on, nice, nasty sort of. Minimalistic experimental shenanigans, uh, you know, just, it's a, a lot of fun. It appeals to me quite a bit. And uh, I have turned, well, yeah, I've recently started sending this out to uh, people who turn 50, male or Aye. female. Male, male or female. We, we, one day we'll all be 50-year-old men. Philip, you're a, you're a spring chicken. You've got years before you have to worry about this stuff. But uh, what makes you of this song? Well, I, I love how it starts. It comes straight out of the gate, doesn't it? And it's pummeling and pounding the uh uh what's his what's his name the bass player actually the, the bass player from the from, from the band dave spur. the eagle spur we eagle say spur, yeah. clarifying he, that 85 he, episodes in <laughs> he's uh he's really earning his uh his pay packet isn't he on this tune in terms of uh how i'd work and his, his hands are on the bass um mez is very funny it's on form uh, all the, the the references to uh, bizarre references to getting older, um, all all work and, and land and very funny. It goes on a bit long for me. I don't like Inferior Product Man at the end of it. It's it the the, the banjo break and all that kind of thing is is funny the first time and then it's just irritating every time after that. Yeah. Um and. It has more than a whiff of the pub. I think the uh, the opening production is is great on a load sound system, but you can still hear glasses chinking in the background and you know shouting last orders. Um, but it's it's a great it, 
it's an iconic song, I think, in terms of where he was at when he wrote it and how, and we're probably much of the fan base as well. And it's kind of been embraced, hasn't it? It's a clever song in terms of knowing what the fans want. It's a, a weird kind of fan service, I guess, as a tune. Um, but it's, yeah, it just, it just kind of rumbles on a bit too long and it's, it, there's not enough going on it on in it for me to kind of withstand the the shelf life that it needs to but um it always puts a smile on my face oh i will give you that i i like um that but there's this when it comes on i don't regularly listen to the end i don't yeah i probably don't need to listen to the entire duration of the track four minutes there isn't there yeah exactly But, but um i'll play you a little bit of inferior product man and we can have a listen to see if, if there's any obvious differences i won't play it all. then what i'll do is i'll segue into there's a suggestion that the alice cooper song i'm 18 because alice cooper says i'm 18 and i like it and uh I, there's a suggestion that that might be where he got that from so i'll, I'll go into yeah. that after we've watched this japanese woman Mix. What is she doing there? She seems to put some camembert cheese into some tomato sauce. Oxtail soup. Into oxtail soup while she's drinking a Suntory highball. Enough, enough nonsense. much the same really I almost got confused because i did i was going to play the kink song session man earlier when we were talking about session man but i don't really like it that much it's not it doesn't add much so i'm gonna play this alice cooper bit instead some good some good soul guitar solos in this you're a fan of guitar solos fellow you like this oh actually watch him when he tries to catch this mic stand as well doesn't work for you listening on audio but it's funny if uh, if you want to go watch the video I didn't want to catch it actually anyway i'm not bothered that i just missed <laughs> just through it and i like these beat club where there's the spotlights only on one person but they're not quite sure who to follow so they're kind of moving <laughs> randomly throughout the uh, people but anyway so um inferior product man and uh, i'm 18 by alice cooper both uh connected to this song allegedly what does tim think of the inferior product 50 year old man uh well he said the following he's put long in the tooth shit and it's very clever so he's he's suggesting maybe it's it's a bit too long but also it's about old men computer mm. doesn't work for me i had a sinclair back in 83 83 uh, interestingly be uh when they wrote uh, eat yourself fitter which refers to what's a computer whether or not that's that's uh, intentional what's a person? exactly what's OL2QU, free warranty, don't forget he's still up to it. That's Steve Albini, he's in collusion with Virgin Trains against me. I'm a 50-year-old man. The club scene, you can't compete with it. You're not a real boy. 
I say you're the real boy, you're a gym teacher, you're a cancer, and I expect a little shit. I'm a 50-year-old man and I like it. I go to the red hotel, I see, throw the towel on the floor. I'm the green man, I throw it on the floor and I piss on it. I'm a 50-year-old man and I like it. Albini was on the Old Brother podcast and they asked him about, uh, apparently, never offered to to, to, to uh, produce the fall, never shown <laughs> any interest in working with them at all. But Smith's just being careful, just in case Albini yeah. tries to come and make the best fall album, the best sounding fall album he's ever I, heard. I remember an early episode where Al was saying about, uh, we had a conversation about Albini, didn't we? And you were pointing out they were, they were probably rivals at some point, weren't they? Into oh, yeah, he's just like, I thought he's... He, Big Black, well, he'd been taking the piss out of them in interviews and uh, in books and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he always kind of like treated the fold as, as a, like a, a sports team or a, you know, like a business when it. So it was like, you don't say anything nice about your competitors. You know, it's like, we're the best, we're trying to do this. Um, and we're going we're to do it better than anyone else. And we don't yeah. care what you're saying, like. That was definitely Albini's stick, especially during the, the big black and early shellac kind of era. He would just shit on like absolutely everybody. And I actually I saw a thing with him a few weeks ago. Where he was, I think he took to social media to basically say he's sorry for being an absolute cunt for, for most of his time. Uh, he's a bit younger than Smith. I think he's about five or six yeah. years younger. So when, when he would have been, like very young and only just starting. I can't remember what year the, the, that first um, big black album came out. Um, I think I think it was eighty two, eighty three. So actually, isn't it? It yeah, they're kind of contemporaries, aren't they? I always think of them a little bit later, but I guess they more or less are contemporaries. It's quite funny though, Albini. I mean, just as much as Smith could. Uh, I remember there's a YouTube clip of it's a put down of a heckler and like the heckler shouts at Albini, why do you suck so much? And he just responds, because your mum's busy. Very clever, he's sharp, isn't he? Those Americans, they're very sharp. What yeah, I do yeah. like about Albini is he is obsessed with the engineering aspect of music and those shellac albums sound absolutely fucking like fantastic. And and that's the yeah, thing, Arch, like if you Arch is just an absolute work of art. I watch his videos. He puts his, his electrical audio is the, the studio, and he'll do a twenty minute video talking about mic placement and like like super specific about like why you know certain places. I mean, some of the, the artwork for like some of the the, the Sherlock LPs, which tell you what mics he's using, and yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, you know, what, I mean, what, what kind of reason to stick down the wires? And, yeah. I think the the idea like if you listen they did when they did imperial wax they did that in the basement thing which nigel godrich's thing and that's one of the best live live-ish kind of fall things you can find were it's it sounds beautiful and similar to what we also have at peel sessions they as much as smith liked to have bog standard production and do it in itself when they did peel sessions when they got good producers in it really did work and i think you know I think Albini still still some time still time for him maybe he'll remaster them all I think I might have said that when we talked about it in round one um have you seen that interview um why though anyway anyway it's up against it's mine track we've already listened to that what does Tim think he's already said what he thinks oh, let's have yeah. a vote yeah, let's have right. a vote spine track versus 50 year old man uh easy for me 50 Alistair 50 hi Philip I was buying track, baby. Well, interestingly, so is Michael E. So that is tied. Um, so for the second time, I can't tell you which way it goes, regardless of what Tim thinks. Which way is Egon? He has gone 
Spine truck. So, so 50 a month's going out. I mean, I'm not super attached to it. I don't, it's certainly not one of my favorite fall songs. Oh, now he moves. Now he moves. I mean, I think it's head and shoulders above Spine Track. I don't think it's even close. But you know what? I will go with the, the, the fucking idiots in the room. I'll driving this train into a, a ditch. Exactly. But the final showdown of the evening uh, takes us to. Uh, uh, way, way back to witch trials. Two steps back. Yeah, the eyebrow ray is very clever. No one's going to know that once again failed to allow you to show you. Stop editing that stuff out as well now, it doesn't matter. Silent Peel plays the record. Silent Peel plays the record at the wrong speed. It's delightful. It's charming. It's, it's bad. I think that's what people really want. They want to, they want to listen to us talking over the top. Now listen. Tall Ben Moller's off for that. <laughs> Everybody likes me, but I think I'm crazy. I pull my string and I do my thing. talk because if i talk it it'll ruin the effect <laughs> he's enjoying his peas curry that curry and rice from cocos they do they do a good one It's a great song, but it's clearly ripped off from Two Steps Back by uh, The Fall. But anyway, Phil, what do you think of that Fall original? Well, it isn't, it isn't, isn't it? Because to, to kind of do a callback like what Harry Hill would do, it's a bit velvety, isn't it? It's, it's almost as if they're playing velvet songs, isn't it? It's almost as if like they're playing a velvet underground song. Yeah, it's that that Tom... What was it? Oh, I'm terrible for names. What was, the, what was the name of the lady who played the drums in the Velvet Small something? Oh, okay. <laughs> More Tucker, that's it. Yeah, it's that style of Tom playing, isn't yeah, it? And um, I don't know. I mean, well, maybe with the Tom's like, but the, the the actual drums are really groovy and funky. They, they have some nice little twists in there. I think it's a uh, yeah, they're definitely funk. Are we talk about uh, the fall song here, or are we talking about that pavement song? <laughs> <laughs> Confused. I'm sorry. I'm talking about the fall song, and it's, it, I agree that's why it. we're here. It's funky. It's it's not it, it's not without a groove, but it's very velvet underground, isn't it? The whole vibe on it, and then when the guitar, the, the sort of spiraling guitar comes in over the top of it, it's uh, in fact, which which I, for me is one of the high points in this song. Really, the guitar solo, which you don't, I don't often get the chance to say that in on this podcast, but the guitar solo is great in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, really creative, fits perfectly, adds to the song. It's not a distraction. Um, and I, it, for an album that I don't particularly like, this this song is a great song, and I I really really like it. Um, 
it, it's it is funky out, but it dawdles at the same time, doesn't it? It's a slow beat, so maybe a bit like ESG or something like that sort of vein of, of funk, maybe. Um, but it's the thing that makes it is that symbol, just that crash of a symbol. It's just like really loud symbol. Yeah, but it's 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 great. It's theatrical and it's everything that it's it's supposed to be. So yeah, I like this. Exactly. Cracker factory in it. Mm. Letting me go. Kirk crackers are a family for happy family. Maybe single crackers. We don't know. Frankly, we don't want to know. It's a market we can do without. So that's it. After twenty years, so long. Good luck. I don't recall so good luck. Brilliant. Uh, but he mentions Cracker Factories, which may or may not literally be a Cracker Factory, because apparently there was one near Presswich in Crumpsall, uh, but but also could be in reference to his uh, the mental health institution that is referenced in many, many songs around this era. Um, for me, the, the Snoopy Keys versus the Menacing Lurch and the, the great kind of solos, which uh, I'm, I'm guessing is... Is Brammer? Well, it is Brammer, isn't it? It's Witch Trials. But uh, it, it's very clean and very together for me. Okay, that's my criticism, although I do quite like it. And, and the musically, it has that menace. I don't necessarily think Smith's lyrics, Smith's delivery matches that. And it just seems a little bit too clean and straightforward for me. Uh, not terrible, but uh, not one of my favourites. But what does Alistair think? Well, I really like this one, actually. I mean, it's it's one that I've listened to on many occasions whilst uh, getting pissed wet through out and about with headphones on. Um, but yeah, I, I did scribble down sort of velvets in the, the previous notes for, for this one. Uh, but I think it's like the, the spacious the space in it as well. Like you've got like you've got the funk, you've got the space, and it's it's kind of like don't get space and some confused for it being boring. Um, it. it Ambles along quite nicely. Uh, and, 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 well, actually, I think it's, it's when I talk about space, it's a bit like winter. Uh, I, that that kind of like develops into like a really spacious song in Iceland as well. Uh, but those are like quite later on. This, this is like a bit of a prototype because it's Witch Trail's first LP. So you can actually see uh, the direction that they're going with. This is like a, I think, very kind of seminal for uh, the future direction of the fall. Where they, they kind of like ditched a lot of the more sort of like punky stuff from witch trials and went along this kind of route. So for me, it's yeah, it's it's quite a very influential song for for the direction, uh, the future direction of the film. Uh, one that I quite like, and it, it mentions Julian Cope in it as well. It does. I, I don't know the acid factories that have mushrooms in the field. Julian said, "How was the gear?" I mm. I give you that Al. i think that's right and i think that's why as much as i like it and respect it, its place it is a proto version of what they would do much better early on and i, and I do again i think it comes down to the lyrics as well i think it, it, although there's some funny stuff it's a, a lot lighter than stuff like winter and uh and war and the next one the figure walks as well it's kind of like it's not quite the same as session musician where he's making jokes that don't land but uh, had a look at the free festivals. They're like cinemas with no films. You could make a fire with the seats. You could boil up some cigar dimps or get into the sound, wait for the ice cream to come around. Cracker factory, the place where you get into the working routine again. I do re I do really like parts of this. And actually, like I think similar to what we said the other week about um, what what was the song, which is um, the I, I, I dinged for being too Riley-ish. 
because a step just step sideways, right? Just step sways. This one has a similar thing for me. It was one after listening to Witch Trials a couple of times. This was one of the ones that stuck out with me, like two steps back. But then it's also one of the ones that is, that wore off quickest on me, and the ones the one that I I least uh, wanted to go back to. I think. But that's it's probably for the same reason that though, isn't it? I mean, I agree, Al. You put your finger on it, this is probably the most fall-like track on Live at the Witch Trials in terms of where they would go with those sound. There's like you can you can hear bits and pieces with the other stuff, but as like a, as as a full concept song in its own right, I think that's it is it is the the closest to what they would do, and yeah, and because of that, they create much better versions of it as they go along. Um, but I'm I'm also a bit I've got a bit of sympathy with with Al in terms of I guess just going back to how we kind of make judgments about the song because it's I quite like that I think when something's historically significant I I, I that is a value for me I guess when I'm uh, I'm thinking about these tunes and which is the best one but I could also see you because you you've always been like this Bren in terms of yeah I get the historical significance but this is better because it's later and it's it's learned the lessons of that prototype kind of thing. I think you've always had that um, view forward, I guess. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I will give it its credence for being important, but that doesn't make it preferable or good. Um, yeah. I remember a second Charlie Corkin reference of, of the evening, the film adaptation. As they get further into the film, it intentionally becomes more and more Hollywood and cheesy. But that doesn't make it better. And at the end of the film, it's actually like less fun and worse. But I get why they're doing it. This is, I don't know. It's a similar analogy of like, I'm looking back and they needed to go through this step and do this song. Uh, but I still prefer, yeah, what it what it became. So I will be voting it out is what I'm saying. And I expect you all <laughs> to do, I expect you all to do the same. What does Tim think? Oh, yeah, I've uh, misplaced me. I think, right, let me get it up here. So he has said, two steps back, good, but a bit leaden shit. I agree. I agree. It's a bit lumpy gravy and not the good type. What about what it's up against, which is a figure walks. Ooh. A mere six months to a year later. What? But what a leap. What progress these, these men and women made. You always know he, you always know he likes it when he lets it play a bit longer, don't you? 
Come on then, Phil. Figure walks behind us. It's great, isn't it? I mean, it's I'm a sucker for this album anyway, but the, this tune's fabulous. Um, I think obviously we started off talking about Emma Gems, and it's you know to a large extent the whole album's kind of got that supernatural vibe about it, hasn't it? Um, I was thinking as well. It's we've had a couple of albums where the artwork really sort of um, informs the not informs but um, complements the music a lot with. Uh, the the Lud Gang start that artwork on the front of Perverted is great, and again with Dragnet, this is black and white music. There's nothing, there's nothing complicated going on. It's all simple, and it's just a bit more intimidating because of it as well. We've got the um, big church reverb going on, so everything's quite quite loud, uh, sort of uh, full in terms of the sound, but there's not actually that many voices going on, so it's all pretty stripped back, uh, brute type stuff. Everything's in lockstep. Um, and whereas, whereas something like 50-Year-Old Man, it really, you know you've been listening to music for the last 10 minutes when it finishes. Um, this has got a, a length to it that's very well hidden within the music itself. It's uh, it's it's always very surprising. It's been on for it's about six minutes long. I think that's mm, sure. Yeah, and it's for some for something so simple, it, it it holds on to your attention from start to finish. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a mesmerizing bit of uh, tune. Yeah, it's very sweet. Um, the the production values, for want of a better word of Dragnet that are often criticised, like stuff like this works perfectly with it, that hiss along with the space, the groovy menace. And, you know, I was saying the last one was a little bit more clean and straightforward. This this is as straightforward in many ways, but it's not clean. And I, I think it's more than just that that appeals to me about the music, but it, it, the, the space is menacing, the toms. It's uh, the I would argue that the break, the second part, I'd, I'd actually prefer it if it just was super minimal and just had that the figure walks part all the way through. I think it doesn't need to get broken up like that. I mean, it's super nice, but I think uh, I'd really like a super minimal version of it where those toms just went on for like the full six, eight, ten minutes. And the the solos in this are really good. This is Craig Scanlon now, I'm imagining. I don't think Riley was playing these solos, but... And there's a couple. There's one kind of in the middle, and then it then it, it trails off into the end where he's playing something that has a little bit of more of a, an eastern kind of vibe, which is what well, what's that pentatonic where it's likely to to give that kind of vibe. Uh, no, I'm trying to remember what it was. We talked about it with Hittite Man, didn't we? But it has got that sound, that sort of desert psychedelia sound towards the end, which is yeah. it's bizarre tonal change, isn't it? Given where it starts as a change. Yeah, and I was saying that Spectre versus Rector on the A side and this on a double A side is the best single the fall never released. Like that would be a for me would be perfect figure walks and Spectre versus Rector thematically, of course, in terms of the sound and, and uh, everything. So it's taking nah. time for October for Halloween. I know we're gonna do a Halloween special, I heard. Whisper whisper. Brilliant. <laughs> Alistair, what do you reckon to a figure walk? Quite like it. I did notice that I'd written down Hank Marvin joke, which I think I did last time. Um, Say that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a great little tune. Uh, yeah, dead eerie, dead sort of uh, atmospheric, uh, some nice sort of like minimalistic sort of progression direction to it. 
not dead keen on one of the guitar riffs, so it, it, it just goes up like the the, the upward inflection. So I can't. Like, that's that's the bit. Yeah, that's that's the bit I'm saying. Like I could lose that bit and and replace yeah. it with just the main riff. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, but it's just that bit of it just spoils it a little bit. I don't know what they were thinking of, uh, but it's actually the, the riff itself reminds me the. Uh, Everybody likes me. They think I'm crazy. The the sort of delivery of of that uh, yeah. from uh, Witch Trials. Um, so you know, not too dissimilar in the, in the time space. In the because it was only like a matter of months in it later or something that yeah, they yeah. dragged. Um, but yeah, it's good. But I, I prefer two steps back. Oof. Oh wow, fair yeah. enough. So it came which Charles was recorded in December 78 and came out in March 79 and then Dragnet was recorded in October 79 and came out uh, August 79 and came out in October so they came, they were recorded like about eight or nine months apart and uh, came out you know a year or so apart so um and in between that lineup changes and all kinds of nonsense but the, but the fall train just kept on uh, rolling and who is not irascible? He is no genius. The shadow walks behind you. It's got eyes of brown, watery nails of pointed yellow, hands of black carpet. It's a quick trip to the ice house, but it is not only the blind who cannot see the figure behind you. I will say that it, it, it compared to something like Winter, Iceland, Spectre versus Rector, it is a little bit more simple and a little bit more on the nose, but I think I can give that if I compare it to an MR James story, which is super simple and super on the nose. Um, if I'm thinking of it that way, uh, absolutely. Although, interestingly enough, in an interview, apparently he said that the song was written during a long walk home wearing an anorak, which restricted his vision. I don't believe he ever went home with an anorak pulled up around his face, but whatever. If you listen closely, he points out, it's not a human being that's following the character. It's a monster from outer space. I think if it's my big Stephen King outing, there is no way he said that. There is literally no way Mark Smith said that. <laughs> Apparently that's from 83, the enemy nonsense um william blake apparently had the line that said my specters around me night and day my specter follows thee behind but again it's a trope and, and at one point he dedicated this song to hp lovecraft uh, the psychologist said that he thought the shadow was his father the shad was his dad and then we go into the only thing four goes into talk about carl young and the shadow etc etc mental health i'm taking it straight on the nose as it's just a month it's it's Hank Marvin following you behind you. It is covered Looks in brambles, down. brambles and thickets. What does Tim think of this? Well, he's put spiritual and haunted shit. It certainly is. Let's take a vote, shall we? Which way are you going, Phil? That's it tougher than I might have made it turned out. Uh, uh, mm. I'm talking about them because it's I, I I do I don't like a lot of tunes off witch trials, but I like this one. Um, I'm going to go for two steps back. Probably like damp. It's musically, it's musically better. Yes, other than possibly Scanlan on 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 figure walks, uh, I will, I'll give you that. But then Brahma did, like we said, some great guitar stuff on two steps back. Uh, how about you, Alistair? You've already called, haven't you? I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Landfill and set two steps back. Indeed, I'm. Um, I'm predictably going for a figure walks. Um, let's have a look at what. Michael, he's gone for a figure walks. Which way has Timothy gone? Tim's gone figure walks as well. Okay, so it is very close indeed. So I'll be adding Max's um, 
votes to that and i'll be adding ezra's votes if he pops up so he, all of these could still go either way so basically what i'm saying is that was another fucking waste of time again but whatever it doesn't uh, matter we're clocking up the numbers the numbers of num- episodes is increasing i'm sure at some point we we can monetize that once next we week into- we are on double figures we are indeed on double figures next week or oh, two fat ladies as you're not allowed to say you're anymore <laughs> Um, anything else you want to add before we uh, call this one a day? No, I don't think so. Just really looking forward to doing the performance for Prospect Arts Festival so yeah. uh, people keep their eyes open for the advertising. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to being there, Seds and Greedy. <laughs> Okay. 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 Okay.